Hello again. Uh, If we haven't met before, I'm Doug Moss, one of the pastors here at St. John. And for this midweek uh, service series that we've been in, we're just looking at the words of Jesus, letting Jesus speak directly to us through his I am statements. And so we're going to dive right in. But as we do, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the people that were listening to Jesus 2,000 years ago. Uh, He was a man who was popular and making headlines in a way that no one else had. Crowds followed him everywhere and, and they couldn't wait. I mean, they, they were in, in rapture to sit at his feet and hear what amazing or insane or beautiful thing he was going to say next. And this group of people, he's just miraculously fed a crowd of more than 5,000 with a few loaves and a few fish uh, and, and it miraculously spread and they had 12 baskets left over. That's what happened yesterday. Okay. So you're in the crowd, you have seen this amazing miracle where bread has been magnified in a way that is impossible, and now it's day two, and you cannot wait to hear what Jesus is going to do today. So with that, we're in John chapter six. Uh, You can follow along on the screen, or if you want to get a Bible out of the pew, or if you have one with you, you can follow along in your Bible as well. But we're in John chapter six, starting with verse 22. So it starts, the next day, and a reminder... The previous day, he fed a crowd of 5,000 with five loaves. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats, and they went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake, and they asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And so if you are truly putting yourself in the shoes of the crowd that was listening that day, then you are very confused right now. They have no idea what he meant. And so as we unpack this and dive into this, this is a moment where I encourage you to get your cards out, grab a pen uh, from one of the slots near you, uh, because the question I want you to wrestle before, we, before I even start talking, I want you to wrestle with this question. If you were in the crowd and you were sitting there and this man, Jesus, who is saying all sorts of amazing and bewildering things, says to you, I am the bread of life, whoever believes in me will not ever go hungry or thirsty again what would you think he actually meant for you? And to help you out and to get you started, I'm going to give you a wrong answer. A wrong answer is not that you never have to buy groceries again for the rest of your life. All right? There's a wrong one. 
But if that's the wrong answer, then what's the right answer? What, what does it mean that Jesus says to them 2,000 years ago and he says it to you right now that he is the bread of life? Take a few minutes. So I don't know how easy or hard that was for you to do. I can take a fairly good guess uh, that it probably wasn't the easiest. And one of the reasons I know that is because we actually cut this story off in the middle. Uh, If you're curious, the way this story continues is that the people listening to it, not only did they not know what it meant, but but this phrase, it didn't land with them the way you might think. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I hear a phrase like, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me will never hunger or thirst again. And that seems like that would be this really positive and amazing promise. And that people would hear that and say, oh, yeah, he's the bread of life. That's so great. Oh, yeah, that's what I want. That's what I need. No, what actually happened is they spent the rest of the day arguing with Jesus about what that meant and whether they really needed it or not. 
And again, you had three minutes. I spent a week, and I know that even as I wrestled with this question, I struggled to understand what it actually meant for me. So I, so I can only guess what you were able to come up with in three minutes. Because I know that while that is such a great-sounding promise on the surface, it doesn't take me much to think back on my own life and see all the places where it sure felt like I didn't have bread of life. And, and I've been in the family of faith my entire life. Uh, Jesus has been my Lord my entire life. And yet I can look back and go, there were times that it did not feel like I had a bread of, bread of life waiting for me. It didn't feel like I was being taken care of. And so if I struggled, my guess is that maybe you're in a similar position. And so as we wrestle with this text, as we look at what it actually means that Jesus is the bread of life for us, I think we've got to go back and even look at the history of what he's referring to and what they were saying. See, if you caught that in the story, they were talking about this manna in the wilderness. That's something that had happened with their ancestors. And, and so if you don't know that story, that's when God's people were wandering through the wilderness. And because they were wandering and they were nomads, they couldn't put down roots. They couldn't start farms and, and raise crops because crops, you have to be there for a while and you've got to till the ground and, re- and harvest and reap and sow and, and all these things. Uh, and they didn't have time. They were wanderers. And so they did not have the ability to provide for themselves. And in that season, God made a provision for them. And so I'd like to share that with you now. It's in Exodus chapter 16. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. Uh, But as the the Israelites are complaining and grumbling, as God's people are wont to do, uh, God says, you know what, I got got this. I'm going to send you this thing. It's going to be, and they called it manna, uh, but they had no idea what it was. uh, And so then Moses gave them uh, the instructions. Uh, And Moses told the Israelites, this is the food that the Lord has given you to eat. And these are the Lord's instructions. Each household should gather as much as it needs. Pick up two quarts, uh, an omer, for each person in your tent. And so the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, some only a little. But when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over. And those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. That's a pretty amazing miracle, right? You know, the, by, there's all sorts of estimates. You know, there might have been two and a half million Israelites. You know, some of the more... Um, you know, less believing miraculous scholars put it only a few dozen thousand, but no matter how you count the Israelites, that's an amazing miracle that every day there was manna for them miraculously appearing. And no matter how much they gathered that day, there was enough for them. And so just like the bread of life promise, that, that's amazing, right? That, that, that's this beautiful, powerful thing that God has done to show his love and favor for his people. And yet, as you might guess, based on how they reacted to Jesus saying on the bread of life, that's not how the Israelites took it, right? If we actually keep reading just into the very next verse, here's, uh, here's how that story continues. So these people who've witnessed a miracle, who have had bread uh, miraculously provided for them, then Moses told them, but do not keep any of it until morning. But some of them didn't listen, and they kept some of it until morning. But by then, it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. And Moses was very angry with them. And I don't know about you, but I resonate very much with that sentence. (laughs) That in the face of a miracle of God, they're grumbling and saying, I'm not sure that this is actually enough. And so they save it and keep it. In the face of seeing Jesus feed a crowd of over 5,000 people with just a handful of loaves, the people are still grumbling and saying, it's not enough. 
I want to see more. I want you to show me even more power. And if I'm being really honest, I'm exactly in this position as well. I read this story where they're trying to save extra and it turns into maggots. And my first thought is, we have Tupperware now. And refrigerators. I would be in a much better position than these Israelites because I would find a way to keep it from turning into maggots. Instead of thinking that maybe there's a lesson that I need to learn. You see, I think the fear that is so sympathetic, the fear that crosses all human cultures and time periods is this fear, what if there isn't manna tomorrow? Yep, God did a miracle today and it was amazing. And and we can take joy and delight. But what if, what if it doesn't come tomorrow? I mean, miracles are rare. Right? I don't know that I've ever personally witnessed one myself, but even people that live in times or places where God's power does work in miraculous ways on a more regular basis, it still wasn't that regular. And if I'm honest with myself, even where I faced with a miracle, I don't know that it would give me the future hope that you'd think it would from seeing something divine and supernatural. I think I'd be trying to hoard it and save it for the long drought that might be coming. And I think what we do is exactly what these Israelites do, that that the way we deal with that fear, that maybe it won't come tomorrow, I think the way we deal with it is by trying to take as much control as possible into our own hands, by working to provide for ourselves. You see, if I can provide my own bread, then maybe it's not as amazing as this bread of life that leads to eternal life, but at least it's under my control and I can be guaranteed that I'm going to have some of it tomorrow as long as I can work more tomorrow. And the nice thing about working hard is it looks really holy and really righteous from the outside. No one has ever cursed uh, anyone for being a good worker. No one has ever said, oh, that, that person, they just have such a great work ethic. What a terrible person they are. And so it looks really good when we work and strive and provide for ourselves. We're the kind of person that people then depend on and rely on. But maybe that very work is what's hiding that deeper fear that says maybe if I actually trusted and relied on God, maybe it wouldn't come tomorrow. And the opposite of fear, as as I've learned, as I've come to uh, wrestle it with my own revelation and maturing and growth in my own life, the opposite of fear has to be trust. I think people think the opposite of fear is bravery. I, I don't think that's right. Because bravery is is saying to someone in a shallow sense, saying, oh, just get over it. Don't be afraid. But I, I don't think you can just tell someone not to be afraid. I think you have to point to something that they can trust in first. And this is where Jesus, if he would continue down the story, it got, like I said, they argued with him all day and I didn't want to submit you to you know, 30 minutes of arguing uh, from the crowd listening to Jesus. But as you continued on, what he finally said to them is, guys, look, you can argue with me all you want about who provided the man, who did this. The fact is, There is a bread of life that leads to eternal life. And the fact is that my father who has sent me, the will of him is to take care of his children. Take care of you so much so, even through to eternal life. If you're willing to trust that it is enough, that there will be, in fact, more for you coming. And that's the thing that he points to in this full arguing, is can you trust that the God who fed the Israelites for 40 years in the wilderness that a Lord who was able to feed a crowd of 5,000 with a few loaves, or that our Lord right now is saying to you that he has enough for you. Can you trust that? 
It's difficult. I know there have been seasons in my life. I can't stand here and promise you that you're always going to have plenty, that you're always going to have everything you need. But what I can say is that the one who could do all these miraculous things, the one who was willing to go all the way to the cross for you, die and conquer death in your name's sake, what I can say is I can trust that he's not going to let us down. It might not be in the way that we might expect it. It might not be in the timing that we hope for. But there is something where he says to us, it is enough. And we're able to believe him and trust him. And so here's what I've learned. Again, just like fear and bravery, you can't just tell someone, force them to trust something. But what I think you can do is you can make a small change. Uh, And that change is this. And this is not from this passage, but it's something that Jesus says elsewhere, which he talks about faith like a child. And that's a nice thing and it's an easy thing and it's a good thing to put in a frame above a baby's crib. But I think there's something profoundly true about faith like a child. You see, I think about my own kids and what provision looks like for them. And they don't question that food is going to show up on the table. They don't doubt that that we're going to go to the grocery store and not bring something back for them. And I think the reason for that is, yes, that they trust in me and their mom, that they think that we're going to take care of them. But I think there's an even deeper thing, and it's something actually that my wife does with them so amazingly well, which is this. She's constantly reminding them, and it almost embarrasses me sometimes, but she's constantly reminding them to thank me, their daddy, for the things that they get. You know, we'll go out to dinner, which, you know, not as often as they'd like, right? You know, my kids would go out to dinner every night if we could afford it. And they can't necessarily understand why we don't go out to dinner more, what affording something means. Uh, But they can't understand when I say it is enough. And then when my wife says to them as we're getting up, she says, guys, thank you, daddy, for taking us out to dinner. Thank you for this food on the table. And what's happening, what she's modeling for them is that she is reinforcing from a young age gratitude for the things that they have. And so I can't make you less afraid. I can't make you brave. I can't make you trust in God. But what I can encourage you to do is to look at the things God has provided for you from the day you were born till right now. And I don't know what hardships each and every one of you have gone through, but what I do know is you're here. You're here with me tonight. And that means that God got you here. And maybe it wasn't with as much as you would have liked or it wasn't the path you would have chosen, but I promise you it was enough because you are here with me and it was everything you needed. And can we be grateful for that? Can we look into the past and take that gratitude and then project that forward into a trust that's able to say and receive, this may not be everything I wanted right now, but but God says it is enough. And I'm willing to believe him. I hope you can. What I'm going to have you do here now for the last couple of minutes of the time I have is I'm actually going to send you back to your card for a little extra reflection. Because I've got another final question for you to think about in terms of this trusting that it is enough, trusting that the bread of life actually means something beyond just a nice promise. And so the question I want you to think about and answer is, what am I not trusting that I have enough of? What is it that I'm afraid there isn't enough to get me through to tomorrow? And as your pastor, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go first. I think people sometimes think that being a pastor means that you have all the answers, uh, that you have all the education, that you know Greek better than everybody else. But I think being a pastor mostly means that I'm willing to go the road first. So here's me being transparent and vulnerable with you. Here's how I would answer that question uh, in the next few minutes. I've had all week to think about it. I've struggled with insomnia my whole life. And 
for a long time, I really looked at diagnoses and, you know, is there like a bipolar thing? Is there a chemical thing? Is there, is there something going on? Why do I struggle with insomnia? And it's only in recent years that I've started to, to realize that it's coming not from any sort of chemical imbalance, but it's coming from a fear that I don't have enough time in my day that I don't have enough capacity and resources to deal with the things that God has put on my plate. And the way that I've dealt with that, the way that I've taken control and worked hard is I've stayed up later and later because that was a way to artificially create more time. That look around, everyone else is asleep, but I'm staying up because I can get more work done in these next two hours than anyone else could have. And it's robbed me of sleep. It's robbed me of good, healthy life rhythms. Uh, it, it's made it uh, hard to, you know, made it hard to get through college uh, because they have this need to schedule classes at eight o'clock in the morning. Why any college does that, I don't know. But to look back and realize that that insomnia wasn't something chemical, wasn't something accidental. It was something that came directly from this problem identified in this text, that I didn't trust that I had enough time from God. And so I found a way to artificially create more. And it came at the cost of a lot of things. So there's my answer. So as you go back to your cards, I want you to think, what is it that you are afraid to trust God that you have enough? And spend a few minutes thinking about that. I don't know what you wrote down. I don't know what thing came to mind or was prompted, but what I do know is this, that if you can confess that fear to God, if you can take this this nagging anxiety that what you have is not enough and you can release it to the one who fed the 5,000, release it to the God who is powerful enough to provide for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people for 40 years, release it to the one who went to the cross for your sake, I can promise you, that you will have enough. And so right now, tonight, I invite you to give that up to God. To exchange the fear and the worry and the burden of clinging to control, striving to say that you have enough at your own power and cost 
and give it to God. And what I can promise you is if you will do that, he will not let you down. You will see his goodness. You will see this bread of life that leaves you never hungering, never thirsting again.